0: How do I get FDA approval for a medical device? How do I get funding? How do I sell a medical device? How do I, how do I, how do I? I'm Kayleen Brown, Managing Editor for Device Talks. We are on a mission to unravel the complexities of the medical device product development cycle. In each episode, we take a deep dive into a specific stage of this journey, guided by the expertise of senior medtech leaders who have not only experienced it, but have mastered it. This is MedTech Women Talks. Dr. Rieger, welcome to MedTech Women Talks, the newest series out of Device Talks. We are here today at Device Talks West, October 18th and 19th, 2023, in Santa Clara. Really appreciate you spending some time with us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, do you go by Dr. Rieger or Catherine?
1: You can call me Catherine file. Oh,
0: great. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you, Catherine. So I always kind of like to get context and really understand how you chose medical devices. It's not an easy field. So uh, kind of walk us through that. We'll let you into the tech.
1: Yeah, well, I think in general, I come from a family of doctors and nurses and medical was very much a, a part of, we're all sort of influenced by by some of our Um, our upbringing and what we're used to and what we see. So I think that played a small role. Um, But after I came out of of undergrad, I did go through and um, worked in military first. And then um, after the first grad school, after my master's, I went into the automotive industry. And both of those are pretty highly regulated, high stakes um, type of engineering and human factors, which is my field uh, and so and I had dabbled in in med device here or there. So it was a logical next step. And it was a mix of hardware, software, plus sort of that regulated risk, plus the family tie-in. So it all kind of came together. And I, I kind of stuck there the last 20 years or so.
0: So you don't commonly hear military tech, auto tech, med tech. Uh, I know we're pivoting from the conversation a little bit, but I think it's important to really understand maybe some lessons that you took. From or with you from those industries to medical devices. Are there any that come to mind?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think military is uh taught me a lot about very long uh, product development life cycles, often with changing goalposts, uh, and and very strict procedures that that you had to follow, um, and very uh unique situations that that we had to investigate. I remember um Going up in a Black Hawk helicopter and and you know doing my field research there and it like started to get you pretty excited about what what we could do and the impact that we could have on society. So it was kind of my first flavor of that. Um, and working in in on military programs, we have unfettered access to users, and you can ask them anything and make them do anything, which we can't do <laughs> in in med tech. But uh, so it was a very fun an educational kind of start to it all. Um, and then when I moved into automotive, I feel like it became more of a crossover into consumer. And really as expectations, when I was in automotive, it was when um, in-car navigation systems were just starting to to kind of come out on the market. And there were questions like, is it the multi-jog or is it the touchscreen, which is less you know, distracting to the driver? And and thinking about the, those user interfaces. And those are the types of problems that, that we were investigating. And that was really new. And it was evolving and thinking about consumers. And I think MedTech is on a similar journey um, and, and, how we, and how we got there. So I, I think that our expectations, and, and I was just you know, giving a talk here and I said, hey, 10 years ago, nobody would care if I said the question, does using your product make you happy for a med device? 10 years ago, people would laugh at you, and now it's becoming a reality because we expect that because everyone's got, you know, a, a, an iPhone or, or an iPad or, you know, et cetera. So uh, everyone's expectations have changed. So I sort of followed that trajectory.
0: I want to kind of focus a little bit about the medical device product continuum and your role. So outside of your specific title and working with intuitive, how would you define your role within medical device product development?
1: Sure. Uh, my role is really, again, I'm kind of this glue between people and products and no matter what industry I'm in. But with, within MedTech, it becomes even more important because you think of it as an entire ecosystem of, of users, right? I, we're making products now for, you know, surgical care teams. But we really it's all about the patients and the families and empathy and, and creating better healthcare outcomes and so, thinking about things from that holistic viewpoint is really what makes it different for for MedTech.
0: I think that really speaks to how the medical technology landscape has changed and how it's continuing to evolve. And you had mentioned just a second ago how we were asking how the, did the device make you happy it would have been laughable. I mean, it couldn't be more accurate. So, is that more the kind of human factors? Like aspect of de- building a product in the device,
1: it's the experience that we're all that we're all collectively creating. So yes, human factors is a part of that, and the human factors team ultimately measures that and helps drive the team to get to that. But it's a larger design and engineering team that builds and, and strives towards that. Of course, you know safety and effectiveness are a given. We have to have that, uh, and and we continue to to ensure that and demonstrate that. But when I, we start talking in terms of does it make you happy, what does that really mean? Why does it matter for a med device? I think is the interest, more interesting kind of nuance is that we know that performance degrades if we are unhappy or if we are stressed. There is scientific evidence that shows that we will be more prone to make mistakes. And likewise, on the flip side of that, if we are ensuring delight as we are using something, that we feel good, then we are more efficient and we make fewer mistakes. And so it really does tie very directly into safety and effectiveness. It's just kind of a new way of of looking at it that happens to also match consumer expectations.
0: Sort of an integration of physical health, mental health, emotional health, behavioral health. So all tied in together.
1: Exactly. Excellent. So you're...
0: To pose as the engineer in the broader landscape of the medical device product development. So, at what point do you feel your role is you know, kind of brought in? Are you brought in at the beginning from ideation? Mm-hmm. You, where do you fall?
1: Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I think all stages, right? So, if you really what we're after is answering two questions, right? The first one is: are we designing the right thing? And the second question is, are we designing it right? And there are particular engineers that specialize in answering each of those questions at different stages. So I I think for me and in my particular role, I start really early because we absolutely have to answer, are we designing the right thing? Is it meeting a need? Are we uh, going after, what outcomes do we need to go after? Where are the problems? From other engineers who are also good at answering that first question might say, I've got this awesome new technology, and, and more of a, a tech push. Um, but I think it's really healthy to have a tech push, tech pull uh, situation to answer that first question. And then, of course, I think it's a little bit more well known once you get into the actual product development life cycle. You know what you're going to build. You you have kind of your blueprint, and now you're just optimizing that until you you know get get to market. And that sometimes is a different skill set and a different type of, of engineer, but. For me, I actually I'm lucky. I get to work the whole way across the, the cycle.
0: So it's in some ways this iterative process in some ways of sort of saying that maybe my skill set outside of yours, which crosses the entire, of course, but uh, you know, maybe my skill set would be better served later in the product development stage versus earlier in the product development stage.
1: I think so. I think it's also interest and comfort level and what questions you're you're trying to answer or, or problems you're trying to solve with with the technology. But iteration is definitely key throughout i have a feeling we're going to pivot to the feedback
0: loop here but before we do that uh i want to we had talked about teams and you know where you fall within this cycle so do you come in pretty much when you're needed at the beginning and throughout the, the the stages when appropriate where and when you interact with the other like R&D, clinical, that's where it gets kind of confusing.
1: Yes, one thing I forgot to mention is that often at the beginning, small teams are, are a lot better. And then as you get towards the end stages, you can sort of break off into those small teams and it becomes this large team when you integrate but it's a, made up of a bunch of small teams because you want to move fast and you want to be able to toss away your ideas. And it's a little bit fuzzy and roles cross over a whole lot more. Titles matter a lot less in those early stages. And it, it kind of feels like a startup because it because it is, right? That's really what you're doing is generating generating ideas. So it's a little bit different uh, there as opposed to uh, later stages, 100% Every role needs to be represented every time we try to do small teams because we want fewer meetings and we go after that, somebody's missing from the conversation and it ends up being an inefficiency and we go back and say, oh, we got to bring that person in. We've, we've got to get together. So uh, there are lots of cross-functional teams that, that come together. And the key is really parsing out and figuring out what those small teams as part of the big team to keep that efficiency going.
0: So it sounds to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong in understanding this. Would you say maybe the engineering role plays more of a collaborative role throughout the cycle than perhaps like other roles, like um, sort of commercialization or uh, clinical affairs? Do you feel like
1: I would? They are pretty central throughout the entire process because it's bedtime. We're creating technology. We we can't create with without the the engineers. Uh, I do think there are highly specialized engineer and just kind of saying engineer, we're, we're definitely generalizing yes. <laughs> uh, across the board. And, and, and I get that and, the, and that's fine. But, um, but yes, engineering is critical from early stage conceptual. You got to make sure the idea is feasible, that we can actually you know, develop this. And there are other folks that are also trying to answer the other questions of, you know, is it desirable or is it viable? Um Versus obviously in the end, engineering is driving, driving the show. And we don't necessarily need regulatory until, you know, somewhere mid mid cycle to come in and say, OK, now that you guys have this thing, now we need to to figure out how to get it to market. And, and that's a different, a little bit different pathway. So I would say we collect people along the way. We collect more and more engineers, more and more cross-functional partners uh, throughout the cycle. And it's it takes a, it definitely takes a village.
0: I was just thinking that. Like you're making your tiny village, yes, maybe bigger village, sort of depending the impact that you're trying to make. So you said creating a device, which leads me to think about the actual development of the device itself, not just the concepts, but actually having a tangible something you can hold and use and make an impact. So how do you go from sort of the concept, the ideation, to a physical product in hand? And that's a huge question, and we can spend a week on that question. Definitely, Uh, but if you could high level it for us, how do you start, where you go?
1: There's always things. There's always something, right? Whether it's phone core or sketches or drawings or some wackadoodle, you know, off the shelf concocted idea, because it's all about communication and crafting our story together. And, and everybody needs to sort of uh, rally around a concept, an idea to get uh, to be able to respond and to be able to provide input. And so I don't want you to think we wait until the end to finally build it. That's an unhealthy product development life cycle, right? We sort of iterate and you, you could walk into our offices and see 15 different versions that, you know, we didn't use, but if you look, lined them all up, you could see the evolution of, of how we got from from there to, to the end. And of course, that's what's fun about the early stages, why you have fewer people, fewer resources, so you can toss that. And then as you move and get more and more sophisticated throughout and we start, you know, Real testing. We have done tests, you know, on puppets where we've got you know people under a table, you know, moving moving arms, or we call it Wizard of Ozing, right? What? Where it's just the man behind the curtain, you know, moving. User pushes a button, and then we're like, oh, you know, here this happens, and uh, it, we go from that to obviously once you engage more and more engineering resources, you can have an actual build with actual software instead of man behind the curtain, you know, push pushing buttons. So I'm it
0: blown away by that. Did you expect when you came from automotive and military that you'd be playing with puppets?
1: <laughs> I've done it actually. I've been lucky to kind of do it all my career. Really? Yes. <laughs> yes. A long time ago. Yeah, when I started, we I worked on a an ATM and we literally it was a, a box and we literally pushed money out the <laughs> out the front, but it looked like felt like to the, you know, user that we were testing it with, felt like a real, a real, you know, ATM. So
0: that's, I don't know why, but I think maybe it's my theater background, but I find that thrilling. So thank you for sharing.
1: We, we still do it. Yeah. We put um, cardboard on the front or we'll put an iPad and then we can quickly iterate, you, you know, using prototype software or something and we'll just put a foam cutout and people think it's real. It's real enough to right. establish, you know, the objectives that we're looking for.
0: Would that be part of sort of the validating and testing
1: process? like? Uh, we definitely aren't validating well, the Puppet concepts, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but definitely level. testing. And, yeah. and it, we use a concept and it's kind of resource um, and it's it's best practice called minimal viable prototype. So what questions you need to answer? What kind of prototype do you need to answer answer that question? So Puppet's not always the, <laughs> the best, but if you're just looking for some conceptual type of, of information or directional um, or can this work? Does this, do I have enough physical space around me for this, for this concept to, to work, um, you know, in our world, are there going to be arm collisions? Are there, you know, are people going to bump into it and, and things like that versus late stage, obviously. And then when you get to validation, you got to be pretty close to your, to your final product because you're validating that you designed it right.
0: So it is really important considerations. So then let's talk validation. So how do you ensure that the device functions as intended and is safe to you?
1: That goes through very rigorous V and V. So verification and validation. Uh, So obviously, in MedTech, we take uh, document control very seriously. Documentation is a part of the development process that if engineers come in from other sectors and come into MedTech, they are very annoyed by the amount of documentation and tracking that that we do, Uh, but there's a reason for that. So when you get to the end game, you can trace every decision, every change, Um, and we have to go through very significant change management to match our regulatory quality uh, processes. So by the time we get to VNV, we verify that all of our requirements are um, contained within the device, and then we validate and, and demonstrate that safety and effectiveness piece, right? So that's that's the piece where we bring in users, and we put them through. We know what all of the um, critical use case scenarios are that um, determine whether or not that device is safe and effective. And we have full care teams, full simulated use. Uh, you know, on on the clinical end, we'll also do you know animal studies and um cadaver studies and we'll we'll run the gamut all the way up to and including you know clinical studies and once we're in clinical affairs you mentioned earlier they come into play and and we do all of that pre-market validation so it's um, a lot
0: of we were saying iterative but i think another way of putting it would be that there's there's a lot of checks and balances along the way especially in med tech and that leads me why do we do that Regulation. So let's talk about regulation for a bit. So
1: why do we do that? Patient, uh, patient, people, family, safety. But yes, regulation as well.
0: <laughs> I, I think it's important to emphasize exactly what you emphasize. Did you have anything else that you'd like to elaborate on in terms of focusing on patient safety and the family's uh,
1: experience? That's that's core of why everyone gets into MedTech. And and I think that it's a core value that we all share and it actually brings those giant villages together because we're all focused on on that as our aim and we all have to have empathy for our end users and for our end in this case patients don't actually use our device but they are the recipients of and beneficiaries of of the device and I think that's key and important in how we make decisions and how we make trade-offs throughout the development process and regulatory should hopefully just be a check at the end, right? That says, "Yeah, we got it right, and we feel and we feel really good about it." So That's
0: so encouraging. And I want to circle back, even though it sort of divots a little bit away from the medical device product cycle. But I mean, you talked about why <laughs> medical technology, this industry, is so special, and the commonality across everybody, as many people I've met certainly in 16 years, all of the stakeholders, we have this, this shared vision, this shared goal, and I think of medtech as very familial. And it's once you're in it, it's impossible to leave because it's infectious. The, the passion and this drive to move health forward and to do it responsibly and to do it in a very uh, you know, nurturing, uh, considerate way. I've never experienced that elsewhere. And you know, I've been here 16 years strong and I'm never leaving, that's for sure.
1: Yes, I, I agree. And when people ask me what do you do for a living, and I I answer, I, oh, I make things easy to use, and then I correct myself and I say I make things that matter easy to use, and I think that's really key to everything that that you just said. And I, I feel that our entire team also echoes that that sentiment. So,
0: I'm going to go back through our transcript of this interview later because there's so many beautiful sound bites and taglines and mottos that I feel like will resonate like throughout the industry and uh, the other collaborative teams, because I hear this all the time. And I just, I, we were talking at the kind of the beginning, the intersection of consumer tech and med tech being sort of a newer, novel idea. I think it's those kind of phrases and this shared passion and this shared goal is what brings the consumers and the every every person, if you will, into uh, their the interest in medical
1: devices. And a lot of our users are also, because we all have that shared goal, I would say in med tech, you know, we do a lot of testing and we bring them in and we, and we bring a lot of stuff out the field and we get a lot of opinions. And it's just, they're our partners. They are our engineering partners as well. And, and it's really, and a lot of them come from an engineering background and, and have great ideas and understand where we're coming from, but it it really makes our job easier, and, and it's really cool and hard to find somewhere else.
0: It is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a fangirl. <laughs> 16 years goes strong. You had touched a little bit earlier, Catherine, on the, the different types of engineers and how for this conversation, we're being very, very general with the term engineers. But I want to talk about a, uh, the significance of human factors in particular and user research and development. and dear to my heart. Well, have <laughs> laid on me. So what do we need to know?
1: Yeah. So our, our job is to make things, make things easy to use. We are the folks at the company who are ultimately responsible for demonstrating that safety and effectiveness. And so we start. Very early stage, where all we're doing is looking for those design opportunities, looking for the opportunities to better healthcare, to improve human performance, and um, and to collect you know comments and feedback, and uh, we're constantly iterating. To circle back on something we talked about before, so it can be as simple as watching cases, talking to people, observing. I think what's key in med device for us, what we add, is that. And I learned these phrases a long time ago in Human Factors, but know that user and the user is not you is an important one that I repeat often to our engineering teams because it's sometimes when you're really in it and you really, they, subject matter experts, and it's hard to break them out of that just to, to remind them. And the other is an N of one is better than an N of none, meaning it's better that I talk to one person and bounce this idea off than, than not. And so I collect you know, a little bit of data to help to help back this up. We also can, kind of moving on that data-driven decision-making or evidence generation, we can get a lot more sophisticated than just going out into the field. Obviously we can run laboratory experiments and and we can talk about measuring cognitive load. We have all sorts of cool sensors and cameras, and can collect all sorts of data about how your body is moving and ergonomic data, and you know, proficiency and and workflow efficiency, and and we do all that as we as we get deeper and deeper into that product development life cycle, and and we run usability studies and and run people through. So um, we do large scale surveys to get directional information. So lots of different ways, but the common denominators are people and data. And that's kind of what makes, that's our contribution to the the product development life cycle.
0: People and data. I like that. All right. So walk me through how crucial feedback is from clinicians and end users. And then in addition to that, how is it integrated during the development process?
1: Sure. And it it is crucial, first of all. So I, I think that we are all very intelligent, you know, very educated, and we, we can use existing sources. We can use our knowledge. Um, we can collect all of that information and make pretty good educated guesses. And I think it could get us about 70% of the way there. But sometimes that extra 30% could derail that first that 70%, right? So it's always good to, to have these check-ins. One, we talked about early stage Make sure we're solving a problem from from our perspective or there's a need for for this device, right? And so just checking in on that super early stage, you don't even have to have a concept yet, you're not even using it yet. Fast forward, you know, kind of mid-stage, you've got some prototypes, you're deciding between, you know, different input devices like we talked about earlier. Is it a touch screen or is it here? Which one is faster? Which one is better? Which one will lead to better, you know, clinical efficiency? et cetera. And so we bring in people and we test that out versus all the way at at the end stage where where we're ready to say, okay, we think we've we've done it. We've built the best thing we can, but we've got to validate this. And definitely for regulatory reasons, circling back there, we have to demonstrate it with with external users and put them in real life situations to pressure test all of the decisions and gut feel that, that we had and decisions that we made along the way. So it's absolutely critical
0: i want to continue this discussion but we have limited time so i have to unfortunately pull us away and beginning we kind of touched on how the landscape is changing and how generative ai machine learning has democratized ai for you know the the me's of the world if you will um, so i think it's important to really kind of talk about how that might shift your role your responsibilities so how do you see it shifting your role and your responsibilities now? And how do you see it shifting
1: in the future? And
0: when I say future, it could be next month. <laughs> We—it's
1: going. That so is fair. Going. Predictions keep <laughs> yeah. changing. Yes. Uh, so first, we are data driven, right? We said that was one of our pillars. Essentially, AI is more data and it's better data and it's informed data. And so from our end, we kind of talked through that whole product development lifecycle It can expedite it for us because now we, and we are today, uh, collecting, I I talked about some of these fancy sensors and all these data points that, that we can collect, we can start to build predictive models for how humans will behave and how they will interact with the devices so that not to completely eliminate the need to bring in some of those external users. But in med tech, that's, it's, it's a tough ask, right? We're working on a lot of cool stuff and I can't bring in users every day. I'm pulling them out of hospitals. Now I'm, I'm kind of going against that initial aim of ours, which was to better healthcare. I'm pulling full care teams out of hospitals to have them come play in my lab and, and help me build things, which is important. But if we can lessen that burden, then I, I think that our job will shift more towards solving the really hard problems that AI can't solve and AI can help us uh, get to that end and answer a lot, a lot faster. It's
0: giving us more room and more time to be more human.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And humans will always be humans. Yes, right. <laughs> so that I have learned that through many, many years of usability testing devices where I think that we are 99% of the way there and you put it in front of people and they do something that is totally not at all what you expected. And you're like,
0: Oh yeah, all right. are still humans. <laughs> and that is
1: that is a different part of engineering. Because most engineering tests, you can, you know, you're testing reliability, you're testing durability. Every time you drop it, you know, you can you can count, you can quantify. Humans, never. I think that might be the most accurate thing I've heard all year.
0: <laughs> Any last thoughts,
1: Catherine? No, just excited to be here, excited to to share the, the journey. So thank you.
0: Oh no, thank you. Dr. Catherine Rieger, thank you again for joining us on MedTech Women's Talks. It has been a thrill to spend time with you. And I hope that I can have a follow-up conversation because every question that I asked led to three other questions that I want to ask. So thank you again for your time.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of MedTech Women Talks. Please share this episode on social media to your coworkers, to that new hire who's overwhelmed by the nuances of MedTech and to that seasoned executive who is looking for a way to educate and inspire. Please like. Follow and subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network to never miss an episode. Our next will feature Dr. Vivian Golfin, Senior Associate at Intuitive Ventures, from the perspective of the venture capitalist. But before I let you go, I'd like to shout a big thank you from our figurative rooftop to our sponsors, Aptix, Catalyze Healthcare, Confluent Medical, and Critix. It is only with their support that we've been able to create this incredible series. Want to join the best sponsors in medtech? There's still time. Connect with me on LinkedIn or reach out to our Device Talks editorial director, Tom Salemi. Once again, I'm Kayleen Brown of Device Talks, and we'll be back soon with Dr. Vivian Golfin of Intuitive Ventures.